In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Good News for the City, the radio broadcast ministry partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC, right here on Life Changing Talk Radio, 105.1 FM, WAVA. My name is Dennis Williams. I'm Director of Ministry Relations for WAVA Radio, and I want to welcome you to today's broadcast. Listen to this scripture. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is just one of the verses James uses in the New Testament to caution us about the things we say. Communication can seem almost impossible these days as we witness conflict and violence, like the mayhem we saw unfold on at the Capitol recently. Our words can quickly inflame and destroy, but they can also heal and build trust. Well, our guest today is here to encourage us to engage in conversations because we have the hope of the gospel, which is the power to save. He's here today to help us navigate the difficult dialogue, any difficult dialogue, with wisdom. And of course, here to get us started, here to introduce our guest for today, my good friend, my co-host of Good News for the City, Pastor Brian Bale, Senior Pastor of Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn, Virginia. God bless you, friend. Good to see you, man. Good to be seen, and it comes as no surprise to anyone who has been alive in the last 12 months or more that there's been an extra degree of difficulty added to having certain conversations. Yes. It's always been a challenge to do what James calls us to do, to be quick to listen, slow to speak. It's, it's always been a challenge to live out exactly what Jesus did, who is described in scripture as being full of grace and full of truth. Uh, I always like to envision that sort of a little teeter-totter in my mind, that he, he balanced that super well. And in the midst of where we find ourselves again as a country, in the midst of we find ourselves as some of the things you've already mentioned, and I'm sure that our guest today will talk about, the necessity for having gospel-driven, good conversations. And, and by saying good conversations, I mean this. It isn't yelling at people via our social media. It isn't, you know, basically wrapping the truth around a brick, which is the truth, but then throwing it through the window of other people's souls. <laughs> it's yeah. actually yeah. engaging them as yeah. humanity, as made in the image of God and died for by the Savior, Jesus Christ. Engaging that way is so important. And so yeah. our guest today, Brett Bernhardt, uh, he, is the, he is a board member of Faith and Law and the Conservative Partnership Institute. A little bit about him, though. He did serve formerly as the chief of staff for two United States senators both Senator Don Nichols and Senator Jim DeMent. Following his service there in the Senate, he served as the Chief of Staff and Executive Vice President of the Heritage Foundation. Currently, he serves as a Treasurer to the Conservative Partnership Institute, as well as to Faith and Law. He spends most of his time on Capitol Hill, serving in a way to the personal ministry of staff and members. And several times a year, they convene others partnered in the same type of personal hill ministry to pray, to support each other, 
and to encourage each other. So, Brett, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for being here. I'm super actually excited about the conversation that we're going to have because it is a needed conversation, how to have these conversations in the midst of some of these uh, difficult and divided opinions and beliefs that we're in right now. Yeah, it, it's surprising, you know, Brian, that uh, it used to be that we could have conversations and they're relatively easy to enter into. But nowadays, that seems like it's getting harder and harder. And you mentioned that they used to seem to be relatively easy to enter into, but as you are correct, it's just gotten harder one way or the other. As someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in what, how that affects how we should live and how we should act and so many other things, and we connect with other people, some of them, frankly, being believers as well that have differing opinions, a lot of them being people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and have divided opinions. How do we even, in, and especially what I would like to say, this more inflamed environment, begin conversations as followers of Christ uh, amongst those divided opinions, amongst those divided beliefs? Right. Well, you know, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Brian. You know, we are talking, as I, as I work with people on Capitol Hill, the audiences are those people that do have a biblical worldview. They have an understanding of who God is in their lives and the lives of this world. And so that's, that's the audience. In other words, these, these lessons are learned and taught for people who have that understanding. And so that's, that's important to say from the outset. As far as where do you begin the conversation, you know, I, I like to say you start at the beginning. In other words, I, I often try to rush into the conclusion or make a de facto statement up front. Well, in essence, it's a matter of building trust and understanding from the beginning. And so it requires really some foundational um, forms of communication to start the talk off, uh, whatever mm -hmm. it might be. And this can apply to both, you know, our family relationships as well as those with strangers. And so um, I, what I encourage people to do is really take that fundamental start at the beginning and to, um, and to uh, uh, simply you know, find out what is the core, what's at the core of the conversation? What is it that they're really concerned about? And I think as you do that, you begin to build that trust and understanding with one another. Yeah, and it's a good reminder of what the scripture we just talked about, to be quick to listen, slow to speak. And the wisdom that God gives us in the Bible is wisdom that was needed then and clearly wisdom now. I, you bring up a great point that Many times we often don't listen to understand. I think someone once said we listen to respond or we listen to, to, to make our point or to, to argue with that. And, and so when you talk about building relationships, in fact, you've written about it, use this term relationship ladders. Uh, I think obviously all of us know what a ladder is, uh, but you're, you're, you're using it very specifically. What do you mean by that? Well, that's a, that's a good point. I always find it helpful to have a word image sometimes in mm -hmm. mind as we deal with these issues. And when I was thinking about this and dealing with my own conversations, I, I thought about the idea that I have specific relationships in my, in my life. And as I mentioned, I talk pr principally to people who have a biblical worldview. And so one, one ladder, if you will, the idea of climbing a ladder might represent the people that I have a common biblical worldview with, right? That that will represent a ladder of sorts. And the rungs on that ladder represent those conversations up that ladder. And as you know, even within the biblical worldview, uh, differences nowadays are, are vast and wide. And so there are some people on that ladder with which we agree with, you know, uh, biblically, but we may have some doctrinal issues, or we may certainly differ in terms of cultural and political issues. 
And so uh, as we as we climb from one rung to, let, to the next, even within our biblical worldview, we have to do it progressively up that ladder. And then conversely, there are other ladders, if you will, in our lives. And I think it's important to kind of visualize what this looks like when we're talking to uh, to people, knowing our audience. Another ladder may be our family uh, and close relationships. Another ladder may be those that share our political or ideological worldview. And then conversely, there are the la those ladders that are the inverse of those three. You know, people who do not share a biblical worldview, do not share an ideological or political worldview, and those outside of our family and close friends. Mm. I love how you just kind of, as you were walking us up the ladder there, that you were bringing some things to, to the forefront, especially around this idea when you said that people may share the, the same biblical worldview, like say, for example, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a, that's a really clear one. But sometimes we diverge on the application of that principle. And then it shows up in differing ways, whether, as you mentioned, in a political view or it mentions in some other sort of view, we're all agreeing, hey, the Bible says to love our neighbors ourselves. But in this environment, there may be a divergent of opinion on how best to apply that principle. And so when we look at people and having different people in our lives and having different relationships in our lives, you're implying, making it very clear that it's not a one size fit all sort of approach. So for those of us who may be tempted, an analogy to use is, say we have a tool belt and in our tool belt, we have eight different tools, but we really like our hammer. And we try to use the hammer for every situation, but we have other tools that could be used. For those of us who may have a bunch of tools or maybe just a few tools and only want to use one, how might this look different as we're engaging in relationships, depending upon the relationship we're in at that moment? Right. Well, I think it's, it's important to understand your audience and what stage you are in the conversation. Mm. Um, often we don't always control the conversation at the beginning, but we can ultimately, you know, we can control what we have to say and how we respond. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're right, Brian, I love this tool analogy because we all have different gifts and abilities that we bring into the relationship and in the conversation. You know, I don't consider myself a skilled debater, for example, but I do consider myself somebody that is able to understand and relate to others, right? So I, I try to play to, to, to how I'm gifted in particular. And I think God is really calling us all to be peacemakers in this environment. And so if we go into it with that spirit, I think naturally what will flow from this in the conversation is an attitude of finding out what is God's heart in the matter? What is the mind of Christ in this? And I think we then converge on that idea, at least, at least on our part. We may not be able to get the, the other person in that part. And again, I'm talking about one-on-one -on -one conversations here. I'm not really talking about group conversations. Very different dynamics there. So the one-on-one -on -one is really important. And I think that's when Jesus really had his greatest impact was the one-on-one. -on -one. That's where you really saw the radical trans transformations uh, in, in lives when he had those conversations. And it's also good to look at how he carried those conversations as well. It's very instructive. So you've talked about this idea of, I, I hear saying you have to be at some level self-aware of, of who you are, how God's gifted you, how God's made you, and aware of the context to, to engage that well. How now when you're engaging it, even if you're, you're self-aware, how do you keep yourself from getting off track? There's a statement that says, you know, the main thing is the main thing. But lots of us like to take a little squirrel track here or squirrel track there. And so the main thing, obviously, when we talk about the good news of the gospel is keeping the gospel in the forefront of our conversations. So how, how do we do that 
and avoid the very large temptations of, of other issues that are important, but they are not as important as the gospel in the conversation and avoiding what some people call this target fixation sort of persuasive spiral. Yeah. Well, you know, you mentioned the idea of being self-aware, and I think it's important as we're talking to somebody that we're constantly checking ourselves, you mm-hmm. know, kind of our blood pressure of sorts. You know, I can find that when I start to go off the rails of sorts, you know, I know it, but it's almost like the guy in the plane, you're saying, pull back, pull back before you crash into the mountain. And I find myself, if I can do that, if I can just step back a little bit out of outside of myself, I can see that I'm not really being very effective here because I'm trying to cram something down somebody's throat. And at that point, then we kind of back off, we can check ourselves. And I think we allow the spirit of Christ to enter into it. And a lot of times what happens is it really is a spirit of fear that engages us. That, that, that gives us a kind of flight or flight, uh, fight or flight syndrome. Mm. And uh, I love the verse in first Timothy, the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I've always kind of thought of sound mind as a throwaway portion of that verse. Mm-hmm. But I realize more and more as I'm fearful, the soundness of my thinking goes out the window. Right. And so what I do is I really trust the Lord. I give the fear, whatever the fear has, has, has settled into me at that moment in that conversation, I give it to the Lord and I say, give me sound thinking in this. And typically, I, I try to apply another principle, the KMS principle, which is keep mouth shut, right? So uh, that's always a thing. All else fails, apply that principle. I hope you do that better than I do, brother, because that's a tough one, man. <laughs> it is hard. It's very hard. I think it's hard for all of us. You know, certainly, you know, Jesus said that he came and he came that we would have life and life to the full. So the transformational life here that he wants us to have with relationship with him connected back to God, as well as the transformational life and the life to come. But he also models behavior for us. He calls himself the second Adam by that being, this is what we should have been able to do if we're living out. And so that means that when Jesus does some things, there's not just doing it for out of purpose. He wants it to model behavior for us. And so what are some lessons or how can we learn some lessons from Jesus in navigating these conversations? Because he certainly... He had a very diverse group of people that he's dealing with, whether we understand context or not. You're dealing with fishermen as disciples. You're dealing with a tax collector in Matthew and Levi. You're dealing with Pharisees who were completely different than Sadducees, even though, you know, he had a lot of different audiences. What did we learn from him in this? Yeah, that's good, Brian. You know, I think I think it's helpful to look at the conversations that Jesus had, you know, as you read the, the scriptures. You know, one of the most famous is the conversation he had with Nicodemus. And if you look at the story of Nicodemus, I, it's not a story, it's, a, it's an actual event and a conversation that Jesus had. If you deconstruct it, you find that it's a one-on-one conversation, like I mentioned earlier. You find that Nicodemus came to Jesus. There was an interest that Nicodemus had. He didn't come involuntarily. There was something about Jesus that he saw, that he liked, that appealed to him, all right? It is a lesson to us, in other words, you know, what we do, what we say, how we think, how we project ourselves does make an impact on other people. In this case, Jesus has made, made an impact on Nicodemus. So he came to Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night. And, uh, and, and Jesus started the conversation, but the conversation started. And he said, you know, you must be born again. Well, that is a very thought-provoking comment, right? It was designed to draw Nicodemus into the conversation. And I think we can learn from that as well. And then what Jesus did is he kind of tested, if you will, Nicodemus's interest in furthering the conversation. And so at that point, you must be born again. 
Nicodemus could have said, that's ridiculous. He could have backed away from the conversation. He could have walked out right there. But instead, he asked a question, you know, how can one be born again? Yes. So then Jesus then sees that Nicodemus is engaged, just like we need to gauge the conversation. And then he puts a little flesh on the bones. He says, you must, you know, be born of the flesh and of the spirit. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now he's got a he's kind of on a roll in this conversation. Then he saves his greatest pronouncements, Jesus does, for the end of that conversation, which we know, John 3, 16. And so we often reverse that order. You know, we start with a pronouncement and then kind of try to help salvage the conversation. Sure. But I think this is a good instructive conversation for us to look at. Yeah. That's, you know, and you can learn more about this, for, about bread and this ways of conversation and all that in two different ways. You can go to faithinlaw.org or hillfaith.blog. In fact, uh, just at the beginning of February, you, you have a blog entry about working on the hill, learning to climb the conversational ladder. Now, I want to go back. You've already addressed the fact that this is when anger is dwelling up in you. This is what you need to do. And I, I love that visual. Uh, you could see me laughing. People can see me laughing because I, I, I've felt that same sort of, you know, warning, warning, warning internally going off in me before uh, I'm about to crash. I do want to confess, though, that I've crashed before, even with the warning. Uh, I've allowed anger to, to engage a conversation or I've just flat out messed it up. And I think all of us recognize, even if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are still not fully sanctified this side of eternity. So that means there is a, a high probability that all of us have messed it up at some point, whether it's with a neighbor, whether it's with a family member, whether it's with a coworker or someone else. If we're listening to this today, whether it's live right now on WAVA or whether it's on a podcast later on, and they're thinking, man, I, I've messed this up. I, this is some good stuff, but this is not how I've been living. What would you tell someone? What, what would you do if they'd messed up? Yeah. You know, it's like when you go into anything that, that you need to prepare for, you need to have preparation beforehand. So if you're going to, um, you know, play a sport or whatever you practice before that. When you're going into a conversation, particularly one that you think might be difficult or challenging, it's important to get your heart and your head right. And so part of that is, you know, that Paul instructs us, you know, uh, the, the idea of, you know, check your anger at the door. Don't go to bed on your wrath. And as, as I explained in my blog post, it's not always practical to, 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 to basically go face to face and reconcile with someone before you go to bed. But what is, what is adamant, what is really important is you, is you have to go before the Lord with your anger, right? You have to work it out with him constantly, certainly before you, 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 know, you see the sunset. So before you enter those conversations, a lot of the work is going to be done before you get there. And so I find that what I have is I have a kind of a repressed anger in there of some kind or something that's bugging me that I haven't quite worked out before the Lord. And it will come out in these conversations if we don't do it beforehand. And certainly in the situation where you have an anger issue with the subject, the person you're talking to, it's so important to get that out before the Lord before you have that conversation. Yeah. Now, that's a great reminder. And there's probably for some of us listening today, there also just may be this at some point when we engage maybe that person again that we leave with, I'm sorry, and, and ask for forgiveness. I know that I've had to do that more than a few times in my life, and hopefully I won't have to do it again, but there's chance. And I love that real practical, not only getting all your ducks in a row, what you want to talk about, but get your heart in line as well. I think there's a temptation for a lot of us to go into difficult conversations and start talking about our rebuttal points 
and thinking about that before we're actually lining up our heart and allowing Jesus to, to speak into those things he wants to speak. Now, you talk about this ladder. Do you ever reach the top of the ladder? If you do, how do you know you've reached it? Yeah, that's a good question. I thought about that. And again, I love this word picture, too. I don't think it's so much, you know, when you reach the top of the, that particular ladder, but when you reach the beginning of the next one. In other words, you know, so that you know you've kind of spread beyond your biblical worldview into your community of people that share a political or ideological worldview or another area or sphere of influence in which you're engaged. So what it does, for example, when we work through our biblical worldview relationships and get to the top of that ladder, so to speak, it enables us to go to the next level. And uh, I don't want to make this so sequential that you have to do it the way all the time these ladders are interacting. Don't get me wrong. We're humans. We have regular relationships and so forth. But I think we know that we've gotten to that next ladder, so to speak, when we work through these issues with those with whom we have in the previous one. And I think that is really the way that the Lord sets up building blocks for us. He's given us the model of the building blocks, of these relationships, that they're progressive in nature. And what he wants to do is get him to a place where we do, in fact, have the mind of Christ and the heart of the Lord in this situation. Now, one of the things that you said that you've done earlier is that you spend time, maybe it looks a little bit different now in the midst of uh, what we find ourselves with COVID, but you spend time day-to-day in ministry on the Hill. Obviously, you're praying with people and you've seen some things. One of the things that we we love to talk about here in the show is how you've seen God work. And I think all of us want to be encouraged um, by the fact that we know the truth of the gospel is, is occurring in people in a political realm, certainly in the Washington, D.C. area. How have you seen the Lord answer prayers of those who regularly gather together in the Hill? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I do work with the personal ministries on Capitol Hill. And the way I like to describe it is it's, it's a ministry like anything else, any other ministry, Brian, like yours, what WABA does. But it just happens to be in the seat of government in the, in the nation. It, but everything else is the same. Everybody you know, has the same issues in life. They deal with relationships, finances, and, and, and challenges. And so uh, as far as the prayer, I have seen an increased amount of prayer and interest in what the Lord is doing. But that doesn't necessarily mean you see immediate results. I think we're still in a little bit of a wilderness here. And I think we just need to continue to pray and to be faithful. I think that's the watchword, to be faithful in prayer for our country and people Amen. of Capitol Hill. We just recently interviewed someone on the show that used this term in regards to church planning, and he called it having to have a revolutionary patience. Mm -hmm. And those aren't terms that we usually put together, but I think it'd be one that would apply here as well. Are we being patient? Are we faithful? And that's where we discover how much we really do trust God and when God's timing doesn't line up with what we would expect. Uh, I'm sure all of us have struggled with that from time to time, but Uh, Brett, thanks for your time today. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your encouragement, your reminder uh, about bringing God into our conversations when there are conversations about God, because it's really easy sometimes to have conversations about God and we fail to invite him into the conversation and how we approach uh, Dennis. Yeah, these are some great resources he has there at Faith and Law and other places, right? Well, they're great, man. But I just have to say, Brian, that, man, I got a fist in the face today with this uh, revolutionary patience and all this kind. What? What? You mean I got to be patient and I got to be kind and stuff? Yeah, it, just Brett, God bless you, man. Thank you so much. This was very powerful to me. Um, so thank you, folks. If you want to learn more uh, about Brett and what he does, go to faithandlaw.org. That's faith 
hillfaithandlaw.org, or you can go to a blog site, hillfaith.blog, hillfaith.blog, um, and you can get more information. Remember, you can always go to goodnewsforthecity.com, that's good news, or excuse me, .org, goodnewsforthecity.org. You can give me a call at the radio station, 703-807-2211, that's 703-807-2211. Thank you, folks. God bless you. Brother Brett, Brian, God bless you all. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of good news for the city, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.